Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. and welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Christy Matusiak, a chiropractor, about complementary chiropractic care. Stephanie and I were interested in learning more about chiropractor and applied kinesiology because we both did not have much experience accessing this type of care. So when we first spoke with Dr. Matusiak, we knew that she had a very interesting practice that we think could be very complementary to women and pregnant folks, and we wanted to share that information with you. So hi, Dr. Matusiak. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. So first, could you provide a little information about yourself, like your background, education, your work? Absolutely. Good morning. And thank you guys for having me this morning. This is a pleasure. So yeah, my background is actually in biology and psychology when I went to my undergraduate program at Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa. Biology and psychology were my majors. And at the time, people would ask me, what do those have to do with each other? And to me, it was pretty obvious the human body and mind are intimately connected and you really can't separate them at all. But apparently I was ahead of my time because people didn't get that back then. So now it's pretty mainstream. Most people now have a good understanding that mental emotional health is just as equally important as physical health. So after that, I worked for a couple years and then decided to move into chiropractic program due to a mentor that I had had. I didn't really even know at that time that chiropractic existed in that framework, but it was kind of everything that I was looking for and didn't really know existed at that time. So I went to chiropractic school and graduated in 2009, and my focus has been in applied kinesiology and other work that I've had like over 750 hours of postgraduate education, focusing primarily on just holistic management, not just straight up adjustments and musculoskeletal kind of care. Awesome. So the other question we ask all of our guests is what informs your perspective? So in other words, why do you do what you do and what is most valuable to you? Absolutely. So I really just love what I do. It's absolutely a passion of mine to just uncover hidden weaknesses in one's body, discover and correct those imbalances and just help the body to heal itself. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, there's a quote by Thomas Edison He said, the doctor of the future will give no medicine. He will interest his patients in the care of the human frame, in proper diet, and in the cause and prevention of disease. And I really just love that because I truly believe that the power of the body and the mind together is one of the most powerful healing opportunities that we have. So that's what informs me. That's what guides me every single day when I'm with patients. Excellent. I can't wait to dive in more to that. All right. So like we said, today, we're going to talk about complementary chiropractic care. So let's jump right in. Can you start out first by sharing with us and our listeners, what makes chiropractic care unique? Sure. So chiropractic in general is incredibly helpful for a vast amount of different conditions. And I feel like what makes it really unique is that we're driven by a health perspective versus a sickness perspective. So a lot of practitioners in different fields are always chasing what's wrong, let's find the source of the disease and suppress those symptoms or something along those lines. Whereas chiropractors, generally speaking, especially quote unquote chiropractors who are not focusing entirely in the holistic mindset that I am, but generally speaking, most chiropractors don't see a lot of people who are really, really, really ill. And so it helps us have a lighter perspective on their care so that we can bring a little bit more joy and fun into the patient's experience. And we tend to see them more frequently than other practitioners do, which allows us to have a deeper relationship with the patient and learn more about them at each visit. And I believe really have a deeper connection on some of those levels. Also frequently, generally chiropractors, because of our scope of practice, we don't prescribe any any medications, we don't do any surgeries. And so our tools are essentially to allow the body to heal itself without drugs and surgery. So we often try to address the root cause so that the patient can just recover on their own. Awesome. 
So could you talk a little bit about what training looks like for chiropractors? I'm from St. Louis and we have a good school there, Logan, and I have cousins who graduated there, but I'm not even too sure what her training looked like. Yeah. So most people are really surprised to hear the rigorous training that chiropractors go through in their education. So we actually have more preclinical classroom hours than medical doctors do in our training in the first two years of education. So we have just as much, if not more, in different areas. So like we have anatomy, physiology, pathology, neurology, biochemistry, micro, histology, nutrition, pharmacology, all those things that medical doctors pretty much experience and get during their education, we get the same, if not more, hours. I believe the medical doctors generally get more in pharmacology, obviously, because they're going to be the ones doing the prescriptions, and we would not. And then during the clinical rotations, of course, medical doctors and osteopaths, they have to do different rotations in different areas. We don't. We specialize at that time in one area. However, what's also probably surprising that most people don't know is, and I won't, I'll be honest, I don't know if this is just unique to the school that I went to or if it's across the board, but at least at my school, we also had to be trained in pelvic exams. We had to be trained in how to do a prostate exam for a patient because we were coming from the position of we can be primary care physicians. We just needed all that training. And then if we chose to go down one of those more primary care paths and decided to do those sorts of examinations in our office, then we would, of course, need a bit more experience and training in those things. But we at least had to learn how to do it. Interesting. I had no idea about that. Yeah, me neither. Thanks. What are some common patient complaints then that you see in your office? So obviously most people think of chiropractors as musculoskeletal experts. And so we get the standard back pain, neck pain, headaches, and there's even more than that. So people who experience ankle sprains, for instance, headaches, TMJ issues. We are not dentists, but we can certainly help support the TMJ through different modalities. People who have things like GERD or other digestive complaints, ulcerative colitis, indigestion, hormonal imbalances are huge. We work with a lot of patients who have infertility issues, PMS, menopause, other chronic illnesses like diabetes, or this is type 2, of course, anxiety, depression, stress, even kids with ADHD. So almost everything that one would go to a quote-unquote normal, regular primary care physician, we can work with in the office and try to use more natural approaches. Let's get into the weeds then about what you just said. I have a feeling, because this happened to me while you were saying that, that some of our listeners might be like, mm, what? How is a chiropractor helping with hormonal menopause, PMS, and fertility? So let's go down that path. What do you do with hormonal imbalances? So straight from a hormonal perspective, we can take either the woman of childbearing age, for an example, or a menopausal woman? Do you guys have a preference or we can do both? Both. Let's do them both. Okay. So we'll go in order then. So if someone, a woman of childbearing age comes into the office and they're having trouble getting pregnant, a lot of what we will do first, first off with anything that I do, I really just sit down and get a very detailed history with somebody. So they come in, they tell me what their main issue is, if they're having trouble getting pregnant or if they have this pain or that pain. I just get all the medical details surrounding that. What have you already tried? How long has it been going on? And then we just start getting to other kinds of questions like what kind of exercise do you do? What's your diet like? How much water do you drink on an average day? Do you have, of course, any past history of surgeries or illnesses that are important? As well as then we start getting even deeper into what kind of stress do you have in your life? Do you like your job? What's your relationship with your partner? Do you already have any children? And that tends to just build a perspective for me to get what I call like the patient's constitution. So the way I explain like constitution is everyone knows somebody who if somebody sneezes three blocks away, they're going to get sick right? They just have that weaker like immune constitution, so to speak. And we also probably know people that if a child literally sneezes in someone's face, they're like, nope, I'm good. I got this. There's no issues with me whatsoever. And so when I take that kind of a deeper history with a patient, we get that constitution so we can better understand how I would work with them because every case is going to be different. One case of infertility versus one case of PMS, they're all, it's not a protocol. So I get that information from that particular patient and we go through to figure out what's going to be best for them. Frequently, it's some nutrition. So 
I do tend to find that anything that's good for blood sugar management is very good for fertility. And so if someone's diet is awful and they're, you know, kind of borderline pre-diabetic, as a sidebar, we'll also do a lot of functional medicine in our office. And so I will look at patients' blood work and see where they may not be in a red zone yet, but if they're creeping up on the red zone, like for instance, if their A1C levels are like 5.5, 5.6, yeah, you're not pre-diabetic yet, but I know that it'd be better if you were closer down to that 5.0 mark. So if we can start to manage that and give a broader perspective to the woman at that time, we save her a lot of headaches in the future if she hadn't known it until that point. So we manage diet first off, make sure that they're doing the right thing as far as their diets are concerned. And then we get into, there are some different supplements that I will offer to help provide balance to their hormones. Sometimes they're herbs, sometimes they're just straight up vitamins, just depending on what the person needs. And then aside from that aspect of things, we'll work hands-on where I'll do chiropractic adjustments, I'll work different reflex points that come up in the, throughout the course of treatment. And those sorts of things have a powerful impact on the nervous system, which the nervous system controls pretty much everything in the body. So it's through all those different modalities that the goal is to bring the body back into homeostasis and back into balance so that her body can then do what it was naturally intended to do, which is conceive and be balanced without those issues, if that makes sense. What have been the outcomes of women or patients who have come to you for these adjustments? How has that worked out for them? Absolutely. So many practitioners will understand the ability for acupuncture and Chinese medicine to help support that. So there is an element of Chinese medicine in what I do as well. So besides for just straight up chiropractic adjustments, we're addressing that system on a lot of levels as well. And if anyone is somewhat knowledgeable as far as acupuncture and Chinese medicine is concerned, one of the primary meridians in the body, the bladder meridian, actually runs down the spine and so even if a chiropractor knows nothing about Chinese medicine, does nothing that I do, they're accessing that system just by doing adjustments on their own. So that actually is pretty cool. And then as far as outcomes are concerned, it's been really amazing. There's been some patients, in fact, one in particular that I can think of, she had been through different medical fertility treatments for years and nothing was working. She was actually feeling just really sick, really drained, because I'm sure, as you guys know, fertility treatments can be really, really rough on the patient's body. So she had come to me when she was just like, I need a break. I can't do this anymore. She was feeling really defeated emotionally as well as physically. And I can't remember exactly how long it took, but it was definitely less than six months before we got her body back to balance where she had energy again and just got pregnant on her own. And now she's got three kids. Wow pretty cool. Yeah, that is. I've heard that fertility treatments can be, especially like Clomid can be really rough. So that's interesting. Yeah, that was the med she was on for a long time. Okay. So we talked about pregnant folks. How about the menopause part? So menopause is actually one of my favorite things to work on with people. <laughs> that's good. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not there yet. So I guess I'm just hoping that isn't me when I get to that point. Yeah, because I know it's really frustrating for a lot of medical doctors to treat menopause. So I think your insight would be interesting. So same kind of history. Like I said in the beginning, we get all the details of that person's background and perspective so that I can best know how to help them specifically. In addition to that, however, what I find most commonly is, and this might be kind of weird for most standardly Western trained people, because I know the term adrenal fatigue isn't really you know, common and accepted in that framework, but I'm going to kind of just explain that a little bit. So Essentially, what I tend to find is when a woman reaches a certain age where her ovaries are not going to be producing the hormones in those levels anymore, theoretically, the adrenal glands should take over for that hormonal production because they're capable of doing that. Obviously, if we go through the biochemistry of it, we have cholesterol and through different enzymatic reactions, we can change cholesterol into all those steroid and sex hormones. When the ovaries say, you know what, we're done, we're kind of checked out, we've reached the point in our lives, we're ready to retire... The adrenals are supposed to step up and say, we got this. We can continue producing some hormones just so you don't go from having like a super high level of these hormones to crashing completely. Most of the time, though, especially in our culture here, the adrenals go at that point, yeah, we're done too. We got nothing left. This woman's burned us out our entire lives running, 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 type A personality, like the go, go, go kind of energy. And they got nothing left to give either. So the woman goes from having a lot of hormones to nearly nothing overnight. 
And so that's when they start to have those hot flashes. They start to have trouble sleeping. They start to have trouble with libido and dryness and all these other sorts of issues that generally come with menopause, but it doesn't have to be that way. Just like I say with even PMS, just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean that it's normal. So we try to get to that perspective of, okay, what was causing that depletion in your body over the last 40 years? And address that, correct that with some of the emotional techniques we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later and different supplementations, like I said before, different herbs, depending on what their body needs. I love that just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. I think that's something that really, that really resonated when you said that and is something we do really need to think about. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a lot of the time too. What clinicians will say is like, well, that's normal. And then they kind of just blow it off because it's normal, but <laughs> doesn't feel normal. <laughs> it doesn't make it right. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about what, something that you talked about when we talked to you over the phone last, you talked about applied kinesiology. So can you talk to us about what that is? So applied kinesiology is essentially a system of analysis or diagnostic tool using muscle testing to determine where someone's body needs the most attention. George Goodhart was the founder of the system. And what he did is he essentially took different practitioners, different osteopaths, and other clinicians' perspectives on things. So there were certain SOT, sacral occipital technique practitioners, that he would use some of their insights into what he then coined as applied kinesiology. So kinesiology is obviously the study of movement or the study of muscles. And so applying that study of movement and muscles to the bigger picture of how the body functions. And so what then we will do through AK, AK is the term for applied kinesiology, is we look at the triad of health. So there's structural, emotional, and chemical influences to any health condition. And we use that muscle testing as a tool to evaluate nervous system function and essentially connect muscles to all three of those angles of health, essentially. He also, George Goodhart, also made really powerful connections between certain muscles and certain organ systems. So for instance, if we're going through and someone comes in with a hip problem, seemingly very structurally based, and I muscle test all the muscles around that hip, I could find things that might have to do with digestion. I can find things that might have to do with adrenal function. I can also find things that have to do with reproductive, re reproductive hormonal function. And depending on what tests in those angles and then what it actually correlates to in the person's history and their experiences can offer a broader perspective than just simply adjusting them. So that's what AK in applied kinesiology really is and does, is it's a broader tool in the practitioner's tool belt to access more information from the person's body than just musculoskeletal issues. So I know we're getting kind of technical on this podcast, but I think it's a good thing. And coming from someone who I'm a, I know nothing about this. And when you're saying this person came in for a hip issue and you're doing this testing and it's coming out with like reproductive issues or digestion, what is this muscle testing and, and how do you connect that? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So basically, so if I'm testing, for instance, I can name, name some, of the, some of the muscles because you guys are professionals and you understand what I'm talking about. So if I'm, for instance, going to be testing the tensor fasciolata muscle, okay, there's a specific angle in which we have to put pressure. And this actually, this testing came from Kendall and Kendall. They were physical therapists, I want to say back in like 1960s. And so they were able to evaluate the proper position, proper angles at which to apply pressure to someone's muscle and ask them to hold against your pressure to then determine if the muscle is a five out of five strength or not. Frequently, what we come up with is what we see as a weakness is a four out of five strength. So we're not looking for complete and total atrophy of a muscle when somebody can't even lift their arm against gravity. That's a different story. Sometimes we see that and that happens and we can provide different modalities to help support that, but that's kind of a different issue. More often than not, when an applied kinesiologist finds a quote-unquote meek muscle, the patient doesn't know it's weak. They feel fine. They don't feel like they've got any lack of mobility. It's just simply not optimal, not firing at 100%. So we call that a four out of five muscle test. And that essentially, that quote-unquote weakness that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't go to the gym and work it out. 
but generally what happens and what I find a lot in my experience is let's say somebody has a weakness in one quad and not the other. They go to the gym and do a bunch of squats. That one that was weak is going to be more sore than the other side because the nervous system wasn't firing it quite as intensely. The lactic acid is going to be brought up more quickly as a result of it working extra hard to try to keep up. And so if you've ever gone to the gym and been, I just literally, this happened to me last week where I did a bunch of lunges and curtsy lunges and step ups onto a stepper. And the next day, my left butt cheek, my left glute was really, really sore and the right one, not so much. And so I was like, all right, so I know that there must've been an imbalance there before I started my workout. So that's kind of this type of thing that I mean as far as the muscle testing is concerned. So then what makes the link between, okay, now we have this four out of five to it being digestion or hormonal? How does that link work? So that depends on which muscle we're testing. So like I said, George Goodhart was the one who founded all these connections and the man was absolutely brilliant. And so I could not duplicate or explain how he discovered these things, but he made these amazing connections. And so for instance, the TFL tensor fasciolata muscle is related to large intestine or colon function. So frequently when I find that weak, I ask the patient, tell me about your bowel movements. Are you going every day? Any sort of straining or in sometimes the opposite scenario, if they're having some kind of diarrhea issue, frequently when I find that weak, there's some kind of dysbiosis or something going on in the colon. Then there's any of the gluteal muscles. So gluteus medius, especially when we test those, those ones tend to be related more with hormonal function. So if the woman that I'm treating doesn't have any hormonal issues or any signs whatsoever, and I find that weak, it absolutely could just be a purely structural issue. doesn't always have to correlate back to that, but I just always have that perspective in the back of my mind to ask. And sometimes if I find that imbalanced or weak, I'll ask them, is your period coming soon? Because that could obviously just disrupt the hormones just a little bit to show a slight difference in my testing, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's an issue. So of course, one also has to have a brain and some intellect on their shoulders to make the appropriate connections with who you're working with. This is just fascinating. You also mentioned this term neuroemotional techniques. So can you share with us about what those are and how they benefit women? So neuroemotional technique is not counseling. It does not treat or fix any emotions or stress. But what it will do is it breaks the physiological hold that the emotions will have on someone's body. And so it allows the release of that. One of the easiest ways to kind of connect people to this concept is if you get really nervous or really anxious, maybe a little bit of how I felt before coming on this podcast, actually, you get a little stomach, you get a little bit of butterflies, right? So these are like normal responses of your body to any kind of emotion. And there's no bad emotions. There's nothing negative about anger or fear. They happen. We just don't want to live in those places. And so when these kinds of emotions happen and they happen over and over and over again, and they're kind of triggered to what we call a neuroemotional complex, I can get into that in a second. That's basically a real or perceived threat from the person's body, mentally speaking. When they have those sorts of things and they're triggered to go back to a previous age per se, those things have a really intense hold on the body and can repeat these patterns as far as their physical manifestations are concerned. So just like I told you about George Goodhart, Scott Walker was the uh, man who founded neuroemotional technique. And he also, just like George Goodhart, made connections between muscles and organ system function. Scott Walker made these connections between organ systems and their meridians in acupuncture or Chinese medicine with the emotions. So for instance, lungs tend to express grief. Liver is most frequently anger, gallbladder, resentment, kidneys, bladder, or like fear. And so we can go through and figure out when a woman comes in and she has various stressors in her life and via the testing, there's different emotional reflexes, you know, on the forehead here, there are emotional reflexes. And so if those test, as I'm going through the course of my evaluation, then I'll know that the emotions are involved in some way, shape or form. And if we're going to use this technique, then we basically find out what the emotion is that they're experiencing, what experience it may relate to in the current time, and then sometimes take it back to a previous event where we can then kind of clear that out of the system while having them hold certain reflexes and think about certain things that may have been traumatic for them and stimulate different spinal levels then to essentially uncover and release those things from their body. So another kind of way to explain this is if you think of like the Pavlov's dog 
you know, hold the meat, you ring the bell, and eventually they don't even need the meat anymore. They're salivating at the bell ringing, right? Human beings are the same thing. However, with dogs, if eventually they'll stop salivating if they know meat's not coming. Human beings, I guess, aren't as smart because we tend to still have those same patterns ingrained in us where a person can be triggering to us for years and years and years and years and years, even though that original event is no longer present. So our nervous systems really have a hard time letting go of things until they're brought to the surface and can be released. So this can be a really great adjunct to traditional therapy and talk therapy. Frequently, however, when I see patients and we do this kind of technique on them, they'll actually say this was like years of therapy in 10 minutes because they can just have a deeper release because they're connecting it to their musculoskeletal system at the same time. That all makes a lot of sense to me. And I haven't really thought about it like that. But I know when I've had therapy before, like counseling, my most recent counselor would kind of talk about that. Like, where are you feeling that in your body? Not necessarily that she would do anything with that, but at least just being mindful and noticing it. And you do, you feel all the emotions in your body at different parts, depending on what they are. So it's really interesting. So can I ask you maybe a difficult question? And if you can't answer it, I understand because we didn't have it on here. So, and I want to preface this by saying, so Nicole and I are both researchers. So we obviously like to talk about research a lot. And I also want to preface this by saying a lot of what's in Western medicine doesn't have great research, but As far as some of the techniques and therapies that you've talked about, can you talk at all about like, is there research for some of these things that can be found readily easily? So it's an excellent question. And I know that there has been tons of research done. I don't personally know where to easily access it. So if you guys are interested, I can just do some digging and I can get you some random articles. So there's an organization called the International College of Applied Kinesiology and Every year, practitioners around the world are sharing their research. Some of it's case studies. A lot of it is, now we can't really have like the randomized control trial with this sort of thing because that's obviously the gold standard, but with this form of treatment and medicine, it's not usually possible. But we can, we've definitely established a lot of different research platforms within that framework of work. With the neuroemotional technique, I do know, and I, I apologize, I can't reference the exact research in the articles, but I know for a fact At some point, at least in the last decade, there was some research to show that pre and post treatment with neuroemotional technique, patients' cancer tumor markers would go would would reduce aftercare, which was one of the most amazing things to me. Because as I'm sure you guys can be aware of, cancer especially, like there's a lot of factors that can lead to someone having cancer, of course. One of the big ones, of course, though, is emotional stress and especially chronic long-term hurt and problems and that sort of thing. So to see that kind of impact through the research that they did was really amazing. Yeah, thanks. I kind of sprung that on you as a surprise. <laughs> no worries. But it also reminds me of when we were we interviewed Karen Buxman, who's a neurohumorist, and she was talking about how quite literally laughter it can be medicine. And she was telling us of a story of, I don't, Stephanie, do you remember who it was? And they had like published a book about how they were diagnosed with, was it like spondylosis? Oh, ankylosis spondylitis. Am I saying that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ankylosis spondylitis. <laughs> you know, how they had then just like sat and watched all these funny tapes and went from being in a really state of poor condition to being in good health or better health. And so I can see that. So I think it's interesting that the way you're talking about this reminded me of Karen Buxman's episode. And then also when you talk about trauma and how we hold on to that also in these triggers reminds me of all of our trauma-informed care episodes and how that's really about reducing triggers and trigger response. And so I find that really interesting. And then as like a total side question... And I know that a lot of folks think this is crazy, but I've totally done it. A lot of what you're talking about also reminds me of like chakras and Reiki, which I know is like even, again, people are going to be like, what? You're talking about chakras and Reiki. But I'm just wondering, does that kind of like we were talking about 
holding this in certain parts of our bodies. And I know a lot of Reiki works with like your chakras and how they can feel it or feel that in your organs. Are you familiar with chakras and all that? Yes. I won't say it's my quote unquote specialty, but I do. There's definitely an element of energy work and healing to what I do. I cannot deny that. And that gets really weird for people. I would totally admit that. I know. I was like, man, I don't want to totally be like, you guys are nuts. It's weird and I get it. But here's the thing about anything related to energy. It's this weirdly intangible thing that nobody can understand or describe, but we all know it exists because the easiest way for me to explain this is, all right, if you have a baby, you guys have kids, right? Yep. What color did you paint the room? Blue. and Well, one was blue and one was green. <laughs> When my daughter was born, we were trying to sell our house. So it was just neutral gray. But, but it is now. We didn't paint this. The, this is how it was when we showed up. It's hot pink. She loves it. That's what she was so excited about moving was she's going to have a hot pink room. And then my son's room is conifer green. Ooh, that sounds pretty. Yeah. <laughs> my point is, though, would you ever paint a baby's room black? Definitely not. Why not? Because that's depressing and dark and sad. It doesn't have the right energy, right? Yeah, totally. And so that's sometimes one of the easiest ways to kind of understand energy just on a intellectual level is through color. So color can be stimulating. It can be depressing. It can evoke a certain emotional response. And so, like I said, it's a really hard intangible thing to describe, but that's one of the easiest ways to understand it to somebody who's like, okay, yeah, energy talk is way too weird for me. I'm not getting on board with this. Would you paint a baby's room black? Probably not. Well, but don't they also have research that colors are associated with hunger? Like red is a really good restaurant color because it invokes hunger or they, I mean, I totally believe what you're saying with color because I've seen that where they've done research, like what colors do make people hungry or do you associate with certain things? Yeah, that gets really interesting. And I have, I don't know all those things at all, but I've read a couple things like, oh, wow, that's super interesting that you can evoke a certain emotional response in somebody just by the location of something on a page and the color of the background. It's really interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean this to get too weird. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm weird enough. So. Yeah, I just think that stuff's interesting because I've had Reiki and so I'm like, this is, sounds a lot like that. Not to also make myself sound like I'm crazy too, but I would never think you guys are crazy. There's some other stuff that I, comes with my Reiki sessions, but that's like another conversation for another day because that gets really, I gets really weird. So we will not go there. But <laughs> okay, to get us back on track. So then, how can chiropractic care and integrative medicine complement traditional Western medicine? I find it can go and complement very, very, very well. So because we don't do surgery, we don't prescribe medications. I think there's a perfect fit there because when those things are necessary, and I don't believe they're always necessary, but they do come up. Sometimes people need a surgery or they need a medication for something. And when those things come up, I refer out all the time. We can offer like that complementary alternative medicine approach to support people pre and post-surgery to help them recover more easily from surgery. I've supported cancer patients before to help maintain their energy and vitality through chemotherapy and radiation. And then, of course, with one of the biggest things that we talk about here is just relieving that discomfort and pain through a woman's pregnancy. So my goal is always just to like work with the practitioners that that patient's already with and not work against them. Inevitably, there are sometimes things that we have different approaches or different perspectives on. Like, for instance, I do see it somewhat frequently when somebody comes in and they're on a statin, for instance, and... I don't really believe they needed to be on a statin because their cholesterol was never high. But some doctors believe that it's just like anti-inflammatory and it's good to just have as a just-in-case measure. And I tend to believe that cholesterol is really important in the body. And so if you reduce it to a too low value, that person can then have issues with their sex hormones and their stress hormones being produced because you just don't have enough raw materials to make them. So in those kinds of situations, when I do have a you know slightly differing opinion on their care, I literally will just tell the patient, this is your decision. This is where you have to take control over your health care. Go talk to that prescribing physician and maybe have a conversation about it. Maybe they knew something that I didn't and there's another reason for it and kind of go from there and try to just keep the lines of communication open. One question I have is you talk about supporting a pregnant person or 
pre and post surgery, I think maybe a natural reaction for providers is that you would see physical therapy. I feel like physical therapy and going to a doctor, like that's kind of the the way of referral back and forth is between a doctor and a physical therapist. And so I'm just curious, what benefits would you offer over a physical therapist or how could you fit into that relationship? I refer to physical therapists frequently as well. I find physical therapists are really helpful and really valuable when someone has a, what I call a quote unquote, purely musculoskeletal problem. As you guys have already heard, you know, enough of me that I'm doing so much more here in my office and just taking such a broader perspective to really influence the patient's well-being and their health overall that I don't always have the time to like work on one muscle for an hour. So I'll refer to a massage therapist or work on one set of joints and mobility for multiple times a week. So for those kinds of scenarios, I'll refer out to other providers like physical therapists. So there's always, I find that there's just always a reason to refer to different practitioners because everyone has their own strengths and not every person is for every patient and that's normal and okay too. So as far as having an advantage over physical therapists is that I could just take that other approach and also make the connection. So if someone has that hip problem, I can figure out if it's related to anything else that they wouldn't necessarily have that perspective on. And when they're in my office and I figure out, okay, you literally just have tight muscles and this has nothing to do with your digestion or your hormones or anything else, go get the physical therapy and then come here once a month just for general well-being. As much as providers may feel hesitant about their pregnant patients seeking chiropractor care, the reality, at least that I know, is that many pregnant folks do seek chiropractor care. So what are some communication tips or questions that you think providers can ask to ensure that their patients don't feel judged for receiving chiropractor care and ensuring that patients are seeking care at an appropriate facility? For sure. I mean, first off, I would always just hope that the woman would be forthcoming about anything that they're seeking outside of their OB's office, for instance. That's a little bit on the patient to be sure that they're being honest with their provider. And hopefully the interaction, the relationship that the physician has with their patient is such that they feel like they can share everything that is going on in their life. As far as questions are concerned, first off, I just would always think from a physician standpoint, I don't judge anybody for anything that they come into my office with. You know, like they come in, I hear that people have been raped. I hear people have committed crimes sometimes. Like, I don't come from a judgmental standpoint. This is your life. This is your journey. I'm here to support you on it. And so I think if the physician is coming from a purely judgment-free standpoint and has the best interest of the patient at heart, they can ask anything and it won't come across judgmentally. So that was just like my first thought on that is it just really has to come from the heart of the provider. And then really, as far as making sure that they're with the right chiropractic physician, I just personally take like a patient-centered approach because there's good and bad in every profession, right? You know, there's bad car mechanics out there and there's excellent car mechanics out there. And so you just have to find the right one that resonates with you, just like an OB or a gynecologist or somebody would want their patient to speak well of them when they're not in the room. I feel the same way with my patients. And so if someone's in my office and I ask them, so how is your prenatal care going? I would hope that they then tell me, oh, it's going great. I really love my provider. Great. That's perfect. I'm glad that you feel comfortable there. That would be the same kind of thing that I would expect them to ask of me is to ask the patient, well, how is the chiropractic care going? Are you getting relief? How often are you going in? And do you feel like that you're getting benefit from it? If the answer is, oh, yes, I love it. I wouldn't live without it. It's amazing. Then they're in a good spot. If the answer is something along the lines of, yeah, well, they said it's going to take like three months before I feel any relief and I'm not really sure about it, but I'm just going to kind of go along with it because I paid up front. Those are some signs that, you know, maybe they might want to look for a different practitioner because I'm never going to speak negatively about any other practitioner in my field because it's just not who I am. But sometimes there's just different fits for different patients. And so just having that dialogue and saying, if you're comfortable with who you're with and you really find a value, great, keep going there. And if you're not entirely sure of it, then there might be some other practitioners that we can refer you to instead. I really like that. That's exactly everything you said is like right up our alley. (laughs) So then how can providers find folks in their areas that are providing the same complementary therapies you are? Because it seems like, and maybe I'm interpreting this wrong, that not all chiropractors are doing what you do or are they? 
No, definitely not. I'm definitely the bright, hot pink room in the book, <laughs> in the bunches. <laughs> so there are websites that one can go to and select the option, like find a doctor. So you can go to the neuroemotional technique website, which I believe is netmindbody.com. AK website is icakusa.com. And you can look at those websites and you, there's always a find a provider in your area option. I don't believe I'm even on those sites right now because I've let my membership lapse and COVID takes over and life is weird right now. But you can generally look at those websites and find someone in your area that I would generally trust. So if a patient of mine is moving out of town, that's where I usually go the first time is to find somebody that's going to be in their new area where they can still find some support. Also, just anyone who's doing functional medicine testing and those sorts of things. It's really more about like looking at the provider's website as well and just looking through their services and generally kind of gauging if they know what they're doing or if they're just what what I would call like a quote-unquote standard chiropractor. So if I'm looking at a website, what language would be used on that website? Like would they use the words applied kinesiology or what language might they have on their websites so that I would know? They would probably have words like applied kinesiology or the neuroemotional technique or other modalities. So there's other things that came underneath applied kinesiology. There's things like total body modification, neural organizational technique, quantum neurology. There's like just a bunch of other buzz terms that kind of were offshoots of the original AK. And a lot of those things are just a matter of like, they all have one thing in common, which is the muscle testing. And so if they mention muscle testing anywhere on their site, you're generally going to know that they're going to look at the bigger picture of someone's health. Well, and I feel like from a provider standpoint, I mean, Pregnancy can be really triggering in and of itself, right? I mean, there are women who find it delightful to be pregnant. I am not one of those who find it delightful. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) And so I feel like I think it's really great, you know, and I don't have trauma that I'm also dealing with while I'm pregnant. But the reality is there's a lot of folks who are dealing with a lot of traumas and other things, right? I remember, I can't remember who we were talking to. It was, we were talking about perinatal substance abuse. Do you remember who that was, Stephanie? Kaylin Klee? Yes, Kaylin Klee. And I'll never forget when she said, you know, unfortunately, when we become pregnant, we do not become suddenly like the best version of ourselves. We don't evolve into this perfect mother who eats great and has no other issues and we exercise and we feel fantastic and and any issues we had before we were pregnant like suddenly melt away and solve like that's not the reality right like when you become pregnant you're the same person you were before you became pregnant and so I think it's really important to consider the complexity that comes with pregnancy and the reality that when you do see your OB it's for like 15 minutes it may be or less. And so to have the breadth and the conversations about the body and healing and things that need to happen in that 15 minutes is really limited. And so I feel like having a resource like someone who provides the services you do could be really wonderful. Yeah, that's why I love what I do so much is because I do believe it just gives us an opportunity to develop a deeper relationship with that person. Like I said before, that oftentimes through no fault of their own. I think OBs and traditional medical doctors have the best interests at their heart. They really want everything that I'm describing. They just are often bound by the amount of time that they're able to spend with each person to have a growing practice. Well, they're working in a system that's broken. Exactly. Isn't working. So <laughs> That's why I love what I do. And I'm able to provide that, like that CAM approach, like the complementary alternative medicine, because then it offers just another perspective. Like that person then gets to be seen frequently by someone else so that someone else is, you know, kind of monitoring and managing their care to make sure that nothing gets missed between appointments or things like that. So speaking of a broken system, I was just kind of curious, like, do insurances traditionally cover chiropractor care or some of the other therapies that you offer? So Medicare does not. Medicare is definitely, I shouldn't say they don't cover it. They cover a very small portion. They will only ever cover the adjustment and that's it for only musculoskeletal conditions. And so we would never be able to talk to Medicare about anything other than back pain or nerve issues or something like that. Depending on the patient's insurance policy, however, there's generally some good support and coverage for chiropractic services. Personally, I'm out of network with them because we used to be in network years ago and it just got to be such a pain because then I was just 
spending all my time trying to code things appropriately just so the person would get reimbursed. And it was like, I'd rather just focus and do my job with the person so that they can heal rather than spend all my time with insurance companies. So for me, at least that benefit comes out of their out of network chiropractic coverage. Other practitioners might be in network. Okay. Oh, insurance policies. (laughs) There's a whole episode. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We don't need to talk about that. Not so much fun. No, no, it's not as fun. It's not as fun as all. So I think you you have presented some amazing information and really built a case for the care that you provide. And I know that Stephanie and I, we've heard, we've experienced providers who are really against chiropractor care. Like there is not a good view of chiropractor care. There's just some negative connotations that come with chiropractic care chiropractors. What would you say to maybe those providers who do feel, I mean, maybe we've done some magic in this episode and they've, you know, brought their guard down a little bit, but what otherwise would you want to say to those providers who maybe feel reluctant about chiropractic care? It's a really great question. I will probably first say if someone is closed to the idea, there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that'll change their mind. And I'm okay with that. For those that are at least a little bit open, I would say check it out for yourself. Now, I mean, if they want to check somebody out for themselves, and I would definitely encourage them because a lot of times people have negative opinions on something because they've either tried it in the past or they've heard of somebody who had a bad experience. And that might just have been somebody that wasn't the right fit for that person or was the bad car mechanic in the bunch, right? So I always try to say like, just because you had a bad experience, just because someone had a bad experience with their medical doctor doesn't mean all medical doctors are bad and shouldn't be gone to, right? So it's just about taking the time to find someone that's right for you, that's going to do the right thing. That's not going to just be a used car salesman that's sleazy. That really, They're really trying to provide the best care for you and your situation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, well, and I say this too about therapists, you know, people can be really reluctant about getting therapy and they're like, well, I didn't like so-and-so. And it's like, well, there is an art to finding the right therapist. <laughs> For sure. Therapists especially, like, I feel like I've talked talk to people before when they're in therapy. It's like, well, yeah, I went to therapy once and it didn't work out. Okay, you know, therapists especially, I think more than any other profession, you really need to find someone that you feel connected with. No, thank you for that. Have you ever, I like stories, so I'm going to ask this question. I probably should have asked it earlier on, but have you ever had a patient come in who expressed to you that their medical doctor didn't approve or that type of thing? Can you talk about that and did it get resolved? (laughs) Ooh, such a good question. I've had a couple people like that and I've had a couple people, those people take different approaches. Sometimes in the one scenario, someone will say, yeah, my medical doctor doesn't agree with anything that you've said. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you feel about it? This is your health. This is your body. What do you want to pursue? And sometimes that person will then say, well, I don't really like my medical doctor, so I'm just going to stick with you and we're going to do kind of your approach. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's your decision. If there's a medication involved, I am never irresponsible. I will never tell someone to get off a medication without a medical doctor's support because that's not my domain. If that's a scenario, I'm like, you must go somewhere. You can always find a different medical doctor that I do have other networks of providers that I'll refer out to that sometimes have a bit more of an open and more natural perspective so they can help them get off of those things if their current one is not interested. But then at the same time, I also have had other practitioners that I'm like, that if they don't agree with what I'm saying and they trust their medical doctor more than we, they just don't come back. And that's also okay too. It's for me, it's about really putting the patient first and my ego second is just making sure that they're comfortable and that they're doing what they feel right for their body. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make that it's really about what the patient feels is best for them and their body and respecting that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so if you don't have a chiropractor or a physician or therapist or whatever that treats you like that, talking to the patients out there, then I would find a new one, (laughs) regardless of what they're doing, (laughs) or even a mechanic. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All right. So you like give such good, concise answers. Well, Dr. Matusiak, we would both personally like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health through communication. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to add before we end? 
Sure. Well, I mean, I guess the last thing that I would say is uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is I am also writing a book that is targeted towards women in their postpartum time, helping them overcome some of those struggles and those emotion, the emotional roller coaster that inevitably, that inevitably comes after having a baby. It's a really rough time. I've been through it three times, learned some things along the way as I've learned from uh, working with my patients going through the same thing, of course. And so in the book, I try to help support their journey as well as offer some ideas to help keep their babies really healthy as they're growing in that first year of life. So that has become a passion of mine, and I'm hoping to get that published in the next year sometime. So stay tuned for that. And as soon as I get that out, I'll totally send it to you guys. That's one thing. And then if anybody that's listening has any questions for me specifically and wants to get in touch with me, I'm happy to provide some of the outlets that that I have. So my website is integratedholistic.com. That's our practice website. I am personally developing another website just for myself. I believe it's uh, going to be christymatusiakdc.com. My email is just christymatusiak at gmail as well. And then I also have a YouTube channel that people can check out if they're interested called Dr. Christy Cares. It's a little cliche and a silly thing, but it's true because I care. And uh, so I do weekly content on the YouTube channel to provide people with just the perspectives I've kind of shared with you guys so far today, they're quick, less than five minute videos on just what people can do to enhance their health overall. So, and then they, people can find me on like social media. I'm not on Instagram or TikTok a whole lot, but I'm kind of there. Same thing with Twitter, but Facebook is a bigger primary one where people can find me. So that's kind of all I have. And I just appreciate the opportunity and talking with you guys today. This has been a blast and your questions were amazing. And I just appreciate it. So thanks so much for it. Thank you. Well, thank you. And we'll be sure to also have links to all of to all of that in our show notes. So be on the lookout, folks, for our show notes. You can get our show notes by becoming a patron of the Woman Centered Health Podcast. So you can go to www.patreon.com slash WCH, or you can go to our website and get connected to Patreon through there. But yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Matusiak. Thank you so much. This was a blast this morning. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. Mm-hmm.